our study, Grace to You, we focus on the grace of God that Paul wanted to make sure that in the midst of a lot of different messages, that that was the message of the gospel that they held on to. And so we continue this morning in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7 through 12. Let's read that together. And if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the back. The verses will also be on the screen, so read along with us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. He says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has, has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. What a great verse to end on. Let us pray together this morning. Father God, we love you and praise you. God, I just ask that you speak to us through your text this morning. Father, I pray that, Lord, as we just enter into this space, God, we come with so many different things. God, so many different burdens, so many different messages, so many different feelings of, of Lord, just navigating the spaces around us. Father God, I pray that as we continuously move through this letter written to a church of people who are just struggling to grasp truth and grace, God, I pray that we would see that that's where we are today. God, we are grasping not only for truth, God, but more than anything, your grace. God, grace in how we interact with you and grace with how we deal with each other. Father God, let us see the truth of your word this morning. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. So Galatians chapter 5 continues this idea that we started last week where Paul is teaching us about the idea of what it means to begin to live this freedom out. You know, we I, I love what we get to do in going through a book of the Bible and allowing it to kind of show us where we should be, show us where we are. Because what is amazing about it is when we allow the Bible and God's Word to kind of lead God and direct us, rather than my own opinions or some type of thing study, whatever it might be, is that I truly believe it always brings us to this point where this is exactly what we need today. You know, and I truly believe with all my heart for, for me personally and for us as a church collectively, I believe this is what we need today. You know, the, the, the truth of what Galatians is about, it's about freedom. It's about freedom to live, freedom to navigate, freedom to enjoy the Christian life that God has given us. And so what I love about Paul, Paul, he, he's, man, he just spoke directly to and with and where his people were. You know, Paul loved, one of his favorite illustrations to use was the illustration of athletics. You know, and, and these people, they would have been very familiar with the practice of athletics, with, with uh, the spectation of, of athletics. And, you know, and, I mean, he mentions it as in the context of being a boxer. He mentions it in the context of being a runner. Because what I truly believe, and if you've played any athletics, then you understand this, that our greatest accomplishments come in the face of opposition. Our greatest accomplishments come in the face of opposition because it pushes us to be the best that we're created to be when there's something pressing against us. Otherwise, if we're honest with ourselves, we become complacent, right? We become comfortable. I mean, you know, if, if you played sports, then you know, you knew those teams, right? That if you played them, like, this was an easy win. You know, like, you look at the record, you say, we got this one. 
We got this one. And you know what? 90% of the time, maybe you did. You went into those games and you won. But there was always those times when you went in underestimating and what did they do? They slipped up and beat you and then you were running your tail off for the next few practices because of it. Because when we constantly face things that don't offer us any opposition, then we get comfortable. We get comfortable. We get, begin to kind of let go of our guard. We begin to kind of not pay quite as much attention as we used to. And I believe for us as Christians, this is a place we find ourselves at constantly. Because the blessing that we enjoy of being in a free country also is our greatest detriment at times. Because very, very little do we meet much opposition. Very little are we challenged in our Christian faith when 90% of the rest of the world around us faces it every single day. And so for us, we have to be reminded that even in the context of our lives and the situations that we face, the issues that are coming against us, that Paul uses this illustration of athletics to show us to press against the opposition. He knew that opposition was an opportunity for growth and glory to God. He knew that anything that comes against us is an opportunity for God to step in, not in our own strength, but in the strength of a holy God. To where time and time again the statement could be made, nothing is impossible with my God. That in the face of anything, you know, all throughout the Old and New Testament, God continuously uses this narrative of taking the weakest, the most unlikely among them, and using them for His glory and for His honor and for, his, for the progression of His kingdom. That is the M.O. of our God. Our God steps into weak, broken spaces and He makes much of them. That is what our God does. And too often we don't face enough opposition or acknowledge the opposition in our life to allow God to begin to work in those spaces. Because, and I love how Paul constantly references back to a race or to this athletic event, because the, the place, our place is in the race. Our place is in the race. Running the race is an influence. And it's an influence on ourselves. It's an influence on others around us. You know, in God's story, the story that He is doing with us is the greatest underdog story in history. Listen, we love underdog stories, right? That's why we all love Rudy, right? This little short white dude trying to play football. He was not good, but he continued to push it and still didn't play that much, but he pushed through it, right? He accomplished goals and he did things like we love stories like that. You know, and in reality, when we're dealing with a holy God, it's not an underdog story. But from our perspective, when we look at ourselves, we, not, we know that we're weak. We know that we're broken. We know that we need direction. We know that, that from day to day to day, we need new mercies. Thank God for new mercies. Because I don't know about you, but I need them. That's the God that we serve. And Paul is pressing them to continue that race, to be involved in that truth, to grab a hold. Last week we, we learned to stand firm in that, to hold tightly to that, almost in a military sense, to defend it and to hold on to it, to not so easily let it go. You know, so Paul challenges them, and what he's challenging us this morning is to run. Living in the freedom God has so freely given through His grace displayed in the gospel of Jesus. And the thing that we can do in the midst of the competition of our lives is that we can't let our fear of competition keep us from competing. We can't allow the fear of com competition keep us from competing. You know, because, you know, I tell my, my teenager that all the time in sports, you know, they, they see the other team and they're immediately like, ooh, they're big, ooh, they're fast, or ooh, they're good. And I'm like, bro, you're beat already. You're defeated already. 
And I think in our Christian lives, we navigate our difficulties, we navigate the opposition, we navigate our fears in the same way. We're attributing them more power than they deserve. Because our God is greater. Our God is greater than that. You know, because what's beautiful about the illustration that God, that Paul continuously uses, is that in this day and age, they would have been familiar with the Olympic Games. You know, historically, the Olympic Games started around 70, uh, 776 B.C. And so this, where Paul is writing, is written about around 60 A.D. And so this is well after those type of events have begun. And what we understand about the Olympics is a lot of the way that they understood about the Olympics is that people competed as citizens of a particular place. So when he's telling us to run a race, he is telling us that we are citizens representing that. And there, there's a lot of confidence that comes in that. That the race that we run, we're not running to gain citizenship. We're gaining because we're citizens. Do you see where the hope and the promise is in that? That he's encouraging us to run because we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of his nation. We are citizens of his kingdom. And so our running isn't to gain citizenship. Our running is because we are citizens. And there is hope in that. There is confidence in that. That he encourages us to run that race with. That we run because of where we're from, not where we're going. We come, we run because of where we are from. You know, 1 Corinthians 9.24, it says, Do you not know that a race, in a race all the runners run, but only one, the, only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Run. He encourages us. Run so that we may obtain it. Philippians 3.14 says, I press toward the goal for the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. And so if I, you know, what Paul is telling us this morning is he's telling us to run. And our subtitle this morning would be this, Don't Stop Running. Don't stop running. Despite the competition, despite the opposition, don't stop running and holding fast and standing firm in the promises of our holy God. To run. And don't stop running. And I think there are two things that Paul wants us to see this morning from this text to help us to not stop running the race of our faith towards Christ and the gospel of grace. The first thing this morning is that we would acknowledge the obstacles. To acknowledge the obstacles. In Galatians 5, 7, he says, you are running well. You are running well. You know, I think if we're really honest, we talked about this a little bit last week. And if we're really honest, starting our Christian faith, you know, starting on that journey is easy. Right? It's easy to begin that race. And I think a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, like we talked about last week, that there are times in our lives when we were so passionate, so driven by the Lord and what he had done with us. You know, and Paul is saying to them, you are running so well. He's speaking of it in past tense. You know, and I think this is a place we find ourselves. Where did that passion go? You know, where, where did that desire to run that race go? Where did that competitive spirit go? You know, because in the, the race of our Christian lives, we run into a lot of adversity, opposition, and competition. So Paul is telling them, you were running so well. And he goes on to the next portion of this verse and he says, who hindered you? Who hindered you? You know, because what he's wanting them to do is he's wanting them to acknowledge the opposition. He's wanting them to acknowledge the obstacles, to know the enemy, to know what's happening in the midst of these people. You know, too often for us, and I believe even with them, we're too often we're afraid to acknowledge the obstacles impending our run. 
You know, because it's a lot easier for us in our Christian life to pretend like certain things aren't there. Whether it's fear, because we're too prideful to admit that we'd ever be afraid of anything. Whether it's some type of sin that's in our lives, because we, we hate to ever acknowledge, especially we feel like in front of Christians, that we can't acknowledge where we fall short, which is a shame. You know, whether it's doubt, maybe it's doubt that is hindering our life. Whatever it might be, you know, there are so many things that we're afraid to acknowledge about what's impending our run. And so it begins to get in our way. And Paul says this. He says, who hindered you? This word hinder can also be translated to, to cut in on you. You know, I love that just in relation to the illustration of running. You know, what runners can typically do is, you know, they, they initially begin in their lanes. But some other runners, what they can do is they can cut in front. And what they do is they cut in front with the intention of getting someone off course, uh, making someone cause them to change lanes even, or cause them to slow their pace. This is, this is what the obstacles do in our life. They hinder us. They get in the way. They cut in front. And what it begins to do is it begins to make us slow down. It begins to make us uh, question uh, what we're doing and the direction that we're going. And not only that, but then it begins to slow our pace. It begins to slow that momentum. It begins to keep us from moving forward to experiencing the work and the beauty of what God has for us. You know, but another way that this can be translated is it can be utilized as a military term. And it means to break up a road, to render it impassable. It's the opposite of clearing the way. Because the enemy knows to destroy a path is to discourage the passion. You know, and so... Not only is the enemy doing this to us, are there things in our life, whether it's fear, whether it's doubt, whether it's inadequacy, maybe it's these, these, these grasping for some sense of worth in our Christian life, that the enemy has not only cut us off to slow us down, but he's began, he started a work to destroy a road ahead of us that would convince us that it's impassable. You know, and I've experienced this so much just in, in the, the years that God has allowed me to deal with, with people and Christians and non-Christians alike who are struggling through faith and doubts and all these things. Is that they get to this point in their life and they truly believe that the road ahead of them to God is impassable. That there's no way that I can go, start this race. There's no way I can continue this race. Have you seen the things I've done? Have you seen the person I've been? Have you seen the mistakes I've made? That, yeah, maybe there's an impassable road behind me, but you, have you seen the destruction that I've laid behind me? But this is what the lies of the enemy does to us. This is how he comes in and he convinces us that that road in front of us is impassable. You know, maybe it's something that we've allowed in our lives, or maybe it's circumstances of what has been given to us. You know, but I, I really think the perspective at which Paul is speaking to the runner from... Is from the leading position. When we put our faith in Christ and we begin that run, church, we are in the leading position. So anyone that cuts in front of us, it's because we've allowed. 
You know, it's because we've been distracted. You know, it's something that, that in, in track, as much as I hated track, there's a lot of things I learned about track. You know, I constantly remember trying to solve my track coaching and scratching my events because we just didn't want to do it. Tay was involved in that too, so don't let him ever lie to we, we, we tried to convince our coach, to I mean, it's the last event. Let's scratch it. Let's go home. We've been here all day. I haven't done anything but eat concessions, stand food all day. You know, it's just not going to be good. But what God is, what Paul is saying, I believe he's speaking to us from the leading position. And what you learn in racing and running is to never look back. Right? It's to never look back. Because what does looking back do? What looking back does is it slows you down. And not only does it slow you down, sometimes it allows you to move out of your lane. You get, you get distracted from the lane you're running. You begin to veer off. And with that, that allows the competitive competition to catch up. That we're intended for the leading position. God guarantees us the leading position. And that if the leading position is ever given up, it's because we've either been distracted or we've looked back behind us things because we're, we're afraid. We're afraid that maybe they're catching up. Well, maybe they're going to pass me. Well, maybe the, the competition is going to overtake me. God says that... In Him, we have the comp confidence of victory. We have the confidence of victory. That if we would just keep our eyes forward. That if we would just keep our gaze forward. You know, we don't have the luxury of being apathetic or indifferent towards this race. Because our freedom is under attack. Because, because the enemy and the competition is coming up. It's trying to rob us of the joy that we have in our freedom. And for, for Paul, he's speaking to these people that are being taught a gospel message that was a work-based, earn-your-way-to-God message. And he's telling them, listen, anything other than the grace of God is an enemy. And it is a competitor trying to rob you of your leading position and rob you of the confidence that you have in your place, in your space, moving towards and running the lane that God has for you. And he continues on and he tells them this in Galatians 5.8. He says, the persuasion is not from him who calls you. You know, and what I love about this phrase, you know, as he's kind of even referencing back to uh, Galatians 5.7, who hindered you, that it, it's so amazing how it's mirroring God's words to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. So in Galatians chapter 5.7, Paul says, who hindered you? Who hindered you? From running so well and obeying the truth. And in Genesis chapter 3, I love God's patience and His love for Adam and Eve in that moment. When He steps into the garden, Adam and Eve are hiding because they've noticed, they've recognized that they're naked and they're ashamed. God steps into the garden and He says, Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that? You know, what lies have been given to you? What, what shame has been laid upon you? You know, and Paul steps into this, this space the same way where he says, who hindered you? Who lied to you? Who brought you off this path that God and Jesus Christ who had called you had laid you on? What Paul is trying to do and what God was doing in Genesis 3 is bringing the light to the source of persuasion. You know, for us, we have to acknowledge what is persuading our perspective. What is persuading, I can't say the word apparently, what is persuading our perspective on God? What is persuading our perspective, our view of God and how we interact with it? 
You know, what is, what is persuading our view of how we view others and morality and our responsibilities as men and women to our families and how we lead, guide, and direct the people around us? What is persuading that view? You know, because I, I think, especially as Christians today, we allow so many different things to, to change the perspective we have on our responsibilities, to change our perspective of God, to change our perspective of how we come into this place in worship and how we interact with God's Word. You know, I think there are so many ways that our perspective is just changed. And so the, the, the honest evaluation that we have to do is if what we are being told about God's Word isn't lining up with our perspective, then we have to acknowledge what is persuading that. What is the source that I'm depending on? You know, and, and, and you know, from my family, with my kids, you know, I'm constantly telling them, you know, challenge the source. What is this source persuading you towards? Now look at your actions. Look at your responses. What is telling you that this is okay? What is telling you in this response that is in opposition to God and what He has given you in His grace? What is molding your mindset? Because until we acknowledge the source, we'll never be, a, we'll never be free of its symptoms. Until we acknowledge the source, we'll never be free of its symptoms. Listen, if you keep drinking from dirty water, you're going to keep getting sick. And so we have to acknowledge what is the, the sources that are persuading our perspective. You know, and that may be very, very comfortable things for us that we have to acknowledge. That may be very comfortable people in our lives that we have to acknowledge. Because he says in Galatians 5, 9, this is the reason why. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know, and I've heard this verse used a, a, a lot by church people and not in context. Um, in reasons to be very, uh, just very ugly to people, and I don't believe that that's necessarily what it's meant to be about. It's not meant to be kind of an evaluation of everybody around us. It's meant to be a self-evaluation of what we're allowing into our lives, what we're partaking in. Whoa. You know, and so what he's telling us there, you know, the, the leaven is used, you know, or yeast is used uh, to illustrate sin through the Bible. You know, what it does with bread is it's the element that causes the bread to rise. But also it can be defined as this, a penetrating influence that modifies something or transforms it. So it's something that has been placed in, that becomes a part of it to the point that it influences and modifies and transforms it. And so for us, as we evaluate our perspective and how we view God, how we view our passion for God, our responsibility for God, how we're leading our families, how we're interacting with the world around us, you know, the, the, the reality is that we have to acknowledge what that penetrating influence is in our life. Is it the media? You know, is it, is it, is it, you know, the faultiness of other people, of Christian leaders, whatever it might be, that's pushing us away from that passion, from running the race, from pressing forward. Because what he's saying is that the smallest amount drastically affects the substance. The smallest amount drastically affects the substance it's a part of. Growing and permeating the whole thing. And so in reality, what this does for bread is it puffs it up. And listen, that's what, you know, I, I tell my boys all the time. That the cause of every sin, I truly believe, is pride and self-interest. I mean, in reality, 
That's what leads us. That's what led Adam and Eve in the garden. That's what led to the Tower of Babel. That as what, if you look at every major, major event in the Bible, every major event is driven by pride and self-interest. And that is so not the gospel. That is so not what God has done. That is so not what Jesus came. He said, I came to be served. And he said, I came to serve. No, not to be served. He says, I came to serve so that the last would be first and the first would be last. He said, I came to, to, to shake up this, this perspective that the world has that the best and the brightest and the person with the most and the person that comes from the best deserves it. You know, I love that in the Bible that, that the, the firstborn, you know, the, the idea of the firstborn kind of continuously goes this thread throughout the Bible. You know, and there's always this idea that the firstborn inherited the promises. But you know, in the thread and the lineage of Jesus, do you know who always inherited the promises? Not the firstborn. Not the firstborn. You know, in the, in the instance of Jacob and Esau, it was the secondborn. You know, it, it wasn't what was expected. It wasn't the, the expected outcome. Because God takes our perspective and He shifts it. For the better. To shift it away from prideful arrogance. To shift it away from self-interest. To shift it away from where it's all about me. But it's putting it outside of myself. And seeing that it's about the glory of God. And the good of my neighbor. Because that's what this race leads us to. And so not only acknowledging the obstacles. But the second and last thing this morning. Is that we would make a move. You know that, that if you know for them they found themselves at a place where they're being hindered. They found themselves at a place where the enemy has cut in front of them. So now what he begins to do is he encourages them to make a move. In Galatians 10 he says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. You know, I love that Paul knew God could do the sustaining and saving among them. And so what Paul is telling them and what he's, he's giving them an example of is setting their sights on the Lord. That you know what? The strength at which you need to reset your course, to get back in the correct lane, to reclaim your leading position in this race is going to be in the strength of the Lord. You know, where too often we, we, we depend on our own strengths to accomplish the task that God has set before us, so we constantly find ourselves falling behind, being hindered, being cut off. He tells them, he says, I have confidence in the Lord. And I believe Paul is shifting their focus to that. And then not only that, but he, I believe he's, he's sharing with them. You know, in one instance, we see all throughout the book of Galatians that Paul's having to defend his, uh, his identity in Jesus and what he came, the message he came and brought to them. But what he is also showing them and reminding them of, of the opposition that is sure to come. That in the midst of making this move, in the midst of beginning to step forward and trust in God and begin to continue the race, Paul says, you know, he says this, he says, if I still preach... Circumcision, why am I being persecuted? What he's saying here, he says, if I preach the message that they wanted to hear, if I preach the message that was comfortable for them and fit into their worldview of God, why am I still being persecuted? Because what he's telling us is get ready, church, because when you begin to make a move, when you begin to make a move, expect the opposition. Expect the competition. He says, because it's not going to be the message that they like. Because he says, if it's the message that they like, why am I still being persecuted? Paul says making moves may cost us. He says, if I'm preaching the popular message, why are they still persecuted? 
You know, and the thing about Paul's message is that Paul's message wasn't a, a message of hate. Paul's message was not a message that, that drove people apart, but Paul's message was a message of grace. Paul's message was a message of invitational inclusion. Uh, Paul's message was a message that said, come. It said, bring your burdens, bring your struggles, bring your sin, bring your issues, lay them at the feet of the cross. And then so in that, he will take that sin and nail the record of debt held against you so that it dies on the cross with Jesus so that it's no longer held against you. Paul's message was not a message of hate, but he was still persecuted for it because it was not the message that the people wanted to hear. Church, we cannot be surprised when the opposition against us is coming from the world around us because the message of the cross is not a popular message. Galatians 5.11, he says, if they were not persecuting me, it would mean that the offense of the cross has been removed. Listen, the message of some man that apparently was God that came not to be a king or ruler over everyone that they believed he should have been, but willingly died for people who hated him, does not sit right with people. That doesn't make sense. You know, in 1 Corinthians, he says, but to, to, to preach Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jews, and it's a folly or ignorance to the Gentiles, who are mostly unbelievers. It doesn't make sense. Why would the God of the universe give himself for sinful humanity? The Bible tells us because our God is agape. He's love. Affectionate, willing, giving love to his people. First Peter 2.8 says, In a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word. And in Galatians 5.12, it says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. You know, I joked when I said this was a, such a great verse. It's an awkward verse. But you know, the beauty about trying to preach verse by verse is we can't avoid certain things. So, you know, but what I think it's, we see from this situation is Paul's passion to make moves against the persuasive enemy robbing them of their freedom. He, I mean, so passionately that he would say to the point that I wish that they would emasculate themselves. I wish they would castrate themselves because of the offense that they have done towards you, because of the hindrance that they have been in your lives. You know, and there are so many layers to this, I believe. There are so many layers to this, even culturally, that Paul would see it. You know, we see it very just surfacely for what it says, but I believe there's so much more to this. You know, for one, he is comparing them, in some of my research and study, he is comparing their way to, to a, a living a life that worships false gods. Because in this day and age, it was, it was common for worship to false idols and pagan worship to be done through self-mutilation. For nothing. You know, basically what Paul is saying. You know, these people who practice this were worshipers of a, of a goddess named Sybil, a Greek goddess. So he's telling them not only is this empty worship, but it's meaningless. And he says, you might as well, you might as well be that 
Because the message that you're teaching, the oppression that you're throwing on these people because of these religious rituals that you say people have to follow and abide by to get to God is basically false idol worship. You might as well be that. And any message but the gospel of grace and Jesus Christ dying on the cross for sinful man is basically false idol worship. He says it might as well be that. Not only that, but remember he's speaking to Jews. And so as Jews go, this would disqualify them from the effects of circumcision. This would disqualify them from the ability to be able to participate, obviously, in this ritual. To be able to earn their way to God's table. Their false teaching is in opposition to bringing others to God's table. And it's leading them away, breaking up the road, hindering and beating and so he tells them, listen, you might as well, you might as well emasculate yourselves because what you're teaching will not get you to God. The message that you have will not. You know, and even as if to insinuate metaphorically that they would cut themselves to hinder their production of children of slavery through their teaching. He says, I don't want to see any more people become slaves to the message that you have. Because it's only in the gospel of grace where we find true freedom. It's only in the gospel of grace that we find that place at God's table. And I believe that Paul wants us to know this. You know, as we, as we acknowledge the obstacles, as we begin to make moves in our lives, stepping out into the opposition that may come from the world around us, maybe even from within our family, people that we're close to, that opposition may come. But he tells us that the race that we've been given is worth running because of the reward. You know, and there's no ability, there's no amount of not running that takes the reward necessarily away from us. But I believe what Paul wants us to understand is that running in itself is the reward. That that pursuit of God, that pursuit of Christ and His righteousness, just moving in that direction. Because I know for you and for me, you know, I love sports, and there's something exhilarating about competition, right? That's why we, for centuries, people have gathered to watch people compete, because there's something exhilarating and exciting about competition. And so when Paul tells the people of Israel, when he tells uh, God's children to keep running the race, he's telling us that there's that reward in the exhilaration of competition that is the greatest calling we have. That it's the reason, the chief end of man for us is to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever, to make Him known. And it's in the middle of the race, the running, that we make that happen. Not only to the people around us, but even to ourselves. I mean, it, for us, you know, and, and to understand that there's no greater affirmation of your athletic ability than competition, right? We never know what we're capable of until we put ourselves in that place to compete. We never understand what we can accomplish until we begin to run and to work and to push. And so he's telling us that in our lives. That we would be competing for our joy in Christ, competing for our confidence, competing for our families' lives, competing for our communities. That we would pursue freedom in Christ and continue the race. You know, and for us this morning, that we, we would evaluate that maybe we've been cut off. Maybe it's time to make a move. To keep running. You know, and, and I've always kind of approached this journey of Christian life not as a sprint. 
But in a lot of ways, it's a distance run. There's changes of pace. You know, there's hurt. There's fatigue. There's times our endurance wears on us. You know, man, our, our Christian life is the same way. You know, and just because there's times in this journey that we don't feel physically fit to carry on, doesn't mean that we quit. It doesn't mean that we ever allow ourselves to be hindered or ever uh, allow the enemy any power, any distraction, ever, any ounce of our attention. Even though our pace changes at times, even though we feel the hurt and the heartache of the run, the prize is still worth the effort. And not only that, but as we influence those around us, that we would know that the intensity of our run can motivate others. That our run is never just for ourselves. That our run is for our spouses. Our run is for our children. Church, our kids, you guys with young kids, listen, I have teenagers now, and some of you guys have had teenagers for a long time. Listen, I've learned more than ever that our kids need us to run the race. You know, our race influences those around us. Our race is our pursuing and our pointing to Christ's righteousness and how it affects me and how it affects them. Because the reality is, I want my righteousness, the righteousness that I have in Jesus, to be what affects my family. Not my empty lifestyle of sin, not my selfishness. I want my righteousness in Jesus to be what influences my family. Amen. You know, and so with that in, in, in light, Maybe it's even another way or better way to look at it, to look at the race as a relay. We're passing a baton. But it's not only the exchange that's important, but for us that we run just like in a relay to put others in a better position. That we run that race to, to, to put others in a position to lead. We run the race to put others in a position to win, to be closer to the reward, to have a better place. You know, our, 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 we, we may never feel like it. We're not meant to be as Christians. We're not meant to be the anchor. But I think we run the race believing that everyone around us is the anchor. That I'm running the race to put my family in a better position. I'm running the race to put my friends in a better position to win. To better put, be in a better position to, to be ahead, to lead. That the harder I run the race, for me as a father, as a husband, the harder I run the race, the better position I put the people around me in. We cannot neglect to see the responsibility that we have to run. To run in the freedom that we've been given. Not to be given to shame. Not to be given to guilt. Because that's what this freedom is about. He's saying freedom from the law. Freedom from the oppression of the expectation of the do's and don'ts. It's not about what you get right. It's about what God's done right. And us resting in His faithfulness. That we would run to put others in a better position. Can we be those people? For our kids, even from the youngest to the oldest, can we run and put them in a better position? For our spouses, man, they desperately need that. Husbands, wives, your counterpart needs that from you. Running that race to put them in a better position. That we would enter, and I'll leave you with this, that we would enter into a competition with intentions on running because we're already winning. Let's run. Let's run in that confidence, church, and let's make moves. If, we've, if you're here this morning and you feel hindered in any way in your Christian life, whatever it may be, fear, doubt, 
sin, temptation. That this morning, first off, that we acknowledge the obstacles, and then second off, we begin to make moves. We begin to make moves by setting our sights on God. We begin to make moves by depending on Him. We begin to make moves anticipating the opposition to continue. Anticipating that their competition will be there. But know that the sustaining work of our run is not in us, but it's in God. And He just invited us to run. To run. To not only, to, to not only better ourselves, but to put others in this relay of life in a better position to lead and to win and to run confidently. Can we do that this morning? Can we make that decision together? First, let's bow our heads this morning. Let's pray and acknowledge this truth. Acknowledging the obstacles, making a move. Father God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I thank you that we come this morning, God, not depending on my perspective, God, not depending on, on, on my opinion, Lord, but we have the truth of your word to rest in. God, and we know that we depend on ourselves, Lord, that we, we, have, we live in a performance-based world, but God, remind us that the intensity of our race is not dependent on our strength, but it's on yours. God, you just called us to run. You just called us to move, to keep moving forward. God, and you tell us, God, that if we will acknowledge you, that you will make our path straight. So God, if the enemy has come in front of us, Lord, Lord, cut us off in some aspect. God, if the enemy has come in front of us, Lord, and, and, and begin, like that military term, breaking the path ahead of us to make us believe that it's impassable. God, let us this morning acknowledge you and you tell us. God, you tell us that you'll make a way. God, you tell us that you'll clear the path. God, you tell us that you will give us the strength and power that we need to pursue you. God, I come this morning to you as a broken man. God, desperately in need of you daily. God, I love the song we sing this morning, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. God, seal our hearts this morning for you. God, in our weakness, in our struggles, God, in our fears and our doubts and our pride, God, let us run the race this morning. God, let us move towards you and keep running. God, because you are worthy and the reward